like us at this time to take up our Bibles and read from Acts chapter 11. We read a section of this recently as we were preaching through the Catechism and the truth of the Christ and Christians. We visit the same passage in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19, as we consider now the subject of the churches and Barnabas' involvement in those churches. So Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, and we'll read that through, the, through verse 26. The word of God. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephan traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That's as far as we'll read this history of the gathering of the church, specifically of of Antioch and the believers there. The occasion of this sermon... And this text is a meeting of Classis, Michigan this week in the United Reformed Churches of North America. Our churches are hosting, our church is hosting the Classis. One of the broader assemblies in the Reformed tradition is the Classis. And the Classis, we are reminded, is a meeting of representatives from local congregations of any given geographical area. Classes in the Reformed tradition are groups of churches comprised of delegates from congregations who represent, when they come to these meetings, their congregation, its council, and its consistory. The classes has no authority of its own. In fact, the classes ceases to exist when the meeting is adjourned. There's no standing classes. But... Its authority is given by the consistories to help in the consistory's own governance of their churches and to uh, uh, be those who approve and facilitate the discipline of the churches, answer questions, and the classes of other churches is also to help in spiritual matters that pertain to the churches in common. So we come together as individual churches and we are concerned perhaps for a mission work that would be uh, the, the bill which would be footed by different churches, and so we come together to talk about that, or church planting, or some other work that pertains to us in common. 
The occasion of this meeting of classes, yours truly would preach a sermon on uh, regarding these meetings and this meeting in particular and what is and shall be vital for the spiritual prosperity and fruitfulness of a classes. There is not much written, I will tell you, on the relation of churches in the New Testament. There are letters to churches. There are indications that Paul wanted letters read to other churches. But there are not lots of uh, instances in which we have relationships of churches and instruction with regard to those relationships set forth in the New Testament. And that would be not only is there little information about any relations of churches, but all the more there will be less information about any Reformed or Presbyterian conception or Bible Methodist conception of what it is to work together with other churches. We haven't wung it. We haven't tried to just do on our own when we're going to relating to one another. But there is a caution that ought to be raised because the New Testament is almost silent on these things, not to press too much our claims for the exact order that a classes um, is convened according to or that synods are. We should not also press too much the details of the church orders we write, though they are valuable and to our, um, to our loss and to disorder, we set aside these things into which the Spirit has led the churches, and in light of the principles of the New Testament, we can be pretty sure we are seeking to apply truth together at these meetings in a way that's pleasing to God. Now, one outstanding example of a relationship of churches that is, is before us, and that is tonight, are two churches in the book of Acts. That would be the church at Jerusalem and the church of Antioch, Syria, some 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And there's one man in both of the um, instances in which this church and these, this relationship is set forth in our chapter in Acts 15. One man is common to both of those incidences, and that is Barnabas. Paul is as well, but Barnabas, for our... Um, uh, use tonight is the one we would consider. So we want to consider Barnabas and the churches. Something here I believe is quite apt for our learning and our behavior at these classes and something we should pray about as churches in anticipation of this meeting of classes. I want to consider Barnabas as Christ's man and man therefore of the church. That's the principle behind all of this. Barnabas is significant here because he's Christ's and he's Christ's uh, with regard to Christ's church. But then, I want to consider Barnabas as he relates to the church in Antioch here on behalf of Jerusalem, that he is a man and Christ's man of churches, not just for one church, but of churches. And then to apply it to today, I want to consider Christ's men and the churches, and Christ's men, God willing, shall be our men, and the delegation that we send and other churches send to the classes meeting of Michigan. Well, Barnabas is presented in our text 
as Christ's man. No question about it. He's even said to be an apostle. An apostle, not an official one of the twelve, but a helper to the apostles like unto them. In our text, in verse 24, it is said that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. A good man. The only good man there is is one who's Christ's man. He was converted. He was born again, though he be born a Jew and a Levite, in fact. Nevertheless, he's born again to be Christ's man, regenerated, full of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, who was poured out upon the churches in Acts chapter 2. He's full of faith as well. He walks not by sight, but by faith. And he is one, therefore, who knows what it is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus and a saved sinner by Jesus. He knows what grace is all about. He'll see it, in fact, as we shall see in our sermon. And he knows not to be egotistical, self-centered. He will be a servant of Christ's church. So here's a man, and a good man, and a full of the Holy Spirit and a faith man, who is on the behalf of the Lord Jesus, who cannot be seen, but who is believed, who is risen to the right hand of God, is crucified for the sins of sinners. And this Barnabas is in the service of the Lord, loving what the Lord does, the church. This is what we see, and this is outstanding in Barnabas and his ministry. He is this grace man. This is something I find that is so remarkable about Barnabas. He's glad for grace, as we shall see. He's someone who's saved by the free, the freeness of God's love. Even though he's a good man, this is not by nature. He's made a good man. He's not an innocent man by nature. He's a sinful, guilty man. He needs to be justified just like the other of us. He's a man of Cyprus the island of Cyprus, in the diaspora of the Jews. And he's a man of Judaism steeped in the law, but he is brought to his knees before the cross, and he will never be the same, and there's no looking back. Again, I say, to the church he goes to serve the church. Now, this servant attitude of Barnabas and this wonder of his being a man of Christ and of his church is brought out in his name. If you look at Acts chapter 4 and 30, uh, verse 36, he's called Joseph at the first, and he was also named Barnabas by the apostles who saw in him something, and they saw this because Barnabas means son of encouragement. They saw something in him that showed the kindness in magnanimity, the grace and grateful heart of a man who would serve the Lord by being kind to people and loving and giving. In fact, his name, son of encouragement, Barnabas, kind of a nickname, is a name from which we get the Holy Spirit himself. Encouragement is taken from the word, the Greek word parakaleo, and we get the word paraclete from that, not parakeet, but paraclete, and that is the name used of the Holy Spirit. 
No wonder he's said to be full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is a comforter, who leads people to Christ with the comfort of the gospel, because the Holy Spirit is in him, and he is a son of encouragement, a son of God, whose business is to encourage the people of God in their faith, and this to the glory of God. What a name! What a a nickname, what a characteristic that the apostles would see. This man is outstanding in this way. The Holy Spirit we know is among us. And after all, because we have a lot of dry days and so on, we need a man like this one who is so full of the Holy Spirit and oozing grace and kindness and love that we're going to name him Barnabas, son of encouragement, paraclete. Holy Spirit with us. What a great thing. And in his love for the church, he is called this son of encouragement because, you see, it has to do with relating to people. He's an encourager, not just a psychological counselor, but he's an encourager in spirit and truth of Jesus Christ. And he's an encourager to the people that Jesus loves in the church. He loves the church of Jesus because the church of Jesus is the apple of the eye of God and the church of Jesus is the bride of Jesus. So, beloved, do you love the church of Jesus Christ? Do I love the church of Jesus Christ? As delegates to classes, And I would say this to all the men who dare to send delegates to classes. Are we lovers of Christ? And do we show that by being lovers of his church? And not here for fame or three hours of fame at the floor of classes as we out debate each other. But are we here to represent our Savior and his bride and his cause and the things he loves Are we Barnabases? Now, the evidence of Barnabas being an encourager to the church are are found right away in Acts 4, verse 36. He's this Levite who's of the country of Cyprus, and he has land, and he sells it, and then he brings the money to the feet of the apostles. He's not like Ananias and Sapphira who lie about it. He He brings the proceeds of his land at the feet of the apostles for the cause of Jesus Christ. There's a man who walks the walk and talks the talk. There's a man who puts his money where his mouth is. There's a giving man, a caring man. He must have been a rich man. Uh, We're not sure, but he had this land to sell and to give away. And then we read in Antioch, that the first thing he does there when he sees the grace of God is that he's glad and he encouraged them. Same verb, paraclete, parakaleo. He, he calls people to his side and whispers in their ear, I love you and Christ love you. So now he is encouraging them to do what? To press on resolutely. I would say that's the heart of what he's saying here. He encourages them that with all them all, that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. That's what he's all about. Everywhere and he went to this person, press on. 
to this person who has weak knees and who's falling, get up, get back on the horse, as it were, remember God's forgiving mercies. He had a word to say to ministers. He wasn't a critic of their sermons, at least not in a a destructive way, but he was an encourager of ministers, himself being a minister, himself knowing what it's like, but even among those with whom he could not empathize by experience, and we don't know much of his experience, he was there because he represented Jesus who knows the people of God and who empathizes with them in their griefs and in their joys and in their waywardness. He, he knows and he knows the temptations of life. Antioch was on the behalf of the Savior here. And they had begun and he knows what it's like to begin well and to finish poorly because he's a sinner saved by grace. He empathizes and says, you know, you need to press on here because very soon you've only been converted of late, but very soon the devil will whisper to you it's not worth it. When you meet the obstacles that are in front of Christians, you'll find out what I mean. Barnabas is like that. And don't you know when there's an encourager in the room? I always do because I'm always envious. There's somebody who has kindness and a good demeanor and who doesn't take offense and who wants to be one who's really there in spirit and love and truth and caring for people. Now, that's just the kind of man the church needs to represent, the church's need to represent them working together. Imagine if we come tomorrow to, or Tuesday to the classes and a bunch of men who might be church men, but they're not Christ men. All we'd have is a bunch of wrangling on the floor or maybe kindness without truth. Kind of kindness. Imagine if we said we're Christ men, but we're not really church men. We don't really care for our churches so much. We don't care for somebody else's church. Well, that wouldn't be what Barnabas is all about. Barnabas was Christ's man. He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. He was a man, therefore, who would serve Christ's church. And he was a man who would serve the churches. And that's my second point. He's a man of Christ and a man of the churches, therefore. Now, I want to point out to you that before Antioch gets to, or excuse me, Barnabas gets to Antioch, he's in Jerusalem, as we find him in the early chapters of Acts. He's a man of the Jerusalem church, and he acts that way. He doesn't go up to Antioch on his own. He goes when he's sent there by the church of Jerusalem. News, verse 22, news of the things of the conversion of the Hellenists in Antioch came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, that's very important. It has been the bane, almost a curse, of the Christian church that we have had unappointed men Men, as the church order says, without a fixed charge. 
They rise up out of nowhere and they say, I'm a preacher and come follow me. And they invariably are full of pride and they fall very hard. And sadly, they bring many people with them. But this man, who was Christ's man, was a man of the church and under the authority of Christ through the church. That's a very important thing. When we are delegated here, uh, Elder Geisen and I, we are delegated by the consistory. We are sent by this church to this church's meeting of classes and to the Classes Michigan meeting of classes. We are sent. We just don't go wherever we want. My ministry is regulated and governed by the elders of the church, and you wouldn't want it any other way. When I go to Sunset Matter, I'm on behalf of the church. Lead a Bible study on behalf of the church in all of these things. My vacation is regulated by the elders of the church, and this is something very significant. Here you have order in the churches, an order established by God. Not a hierarchy. Jesus is at the top and all of us are servants, but a method of showing that Jesus is on top and none of us. And even those who are ministers are servants of Christ in the service of his church. And so they hear the news, and this is significant. The word news here is the word for word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and, and so on. Logos, when they heard the logos of the things of the conversion of the Hellenists in Syria, the elders of the church of Jerusalem, they took note of this. They, they heard, their, their ears pricked up. There was something here that, that was worth their attention. It wasn't just the news that's fit to print in the New York Times. It wasn't certainly something that was uh, beside the gospel, but they heard the good news of the gospel. The word, that is a beautiful thing to spread, by the way, beloved. If there's any gossip, it won't be called gossip, but the spreading of the gospel, that's worthy to spread. So they heard that word. They heard word of these things. And they sent a trusted man to the hinterlands, Comstock Park, Antioch of Syria, 300 miles to the north of the mother church in Jerusalem. And they sent him out. And that word there is the same word from which we get apostles. Uh, they ex apostyline, they apostled him out. They sent him officially on the commission of Christ in his church. He was an official ambassador of Christ through the calling of the church, as any good minister needs to be. He received a charge at that time, and he would respond to the good word and the spread of the gospel on behalf of the churches. So he went. He was called and he went. He took the call and he went. And after a while, though it turns out to be a year or so, he would relay this all back to the church at Jerusalem. Now he showed that he was a man of churches, therefore, in being a man of Jerusalem church and a man of those believers in Antioch who are called a church in our text as well. He goes there and he recognizes, this is striking, Barnabas goes there and he recognizes what God had done in preaching to the Greeks. This was just about a first. 
There was preaching here not to Jews, but to Greeks. They're called Hellenists here, Gentiles, the cultured ones. And, and Antioch was a very uh, industrious, though immoral church, known for its culture and its business. And he preached there. He preached to the Greeks who've been saved by the preaching of the Lord Jesus, by those scattered abroad on the occasion of the persecution that arose over Stephan. Some of the men were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of the things came to Jerusalem. They sent out to Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. You see... He recognized, did Barnabas, being a son of consolation or encouragement, what grace was. He recognized it. He saw it. He didn't say, well, you know, it's a little iffy because these are not Jews that are saved, and only Jews, after all, are worthy to be saved. But he saw the grace of God there, and he was glad. He didn't see them, these Greeks, because they were just, after all, baby Christians, and they were. Who didn't smell like Jewish Christians, who were immature, unpolished, and different. He saw what needs to be seen in these cases and always God at work on people. Different sized noses, different looking ears, different color, different ethnicity, different background, not so near related to the Jews with the Bible as the Jews were. He saw a work of grace and he recognized a work of grace when he saw it, and he was glad. He was glad. What really had come to Barnabas at this time was a conviction of what Jerusalem had been persuaded of. If you read of that in Acts 11 and verse 18, after Peter relayed how God had visited him and the Gentiles were being saved, the, the Jerusalem church had said, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. They said that. It was kind of like, they wrote it in their theological book. God has granted also repentance to Gentiles unto life. Well, there was the theology. Then Barnabas, who knew that theology, he went there and he saw it and he said, Yes, sir, it's true. I've seen it. I understand it. I'm persuaded of it. I cannot deny it. Hence his gladness. Hence, his encouragement to the converts, continue with the Lord. You're with the Lord, now continue. Now, this is a significant thing that happens at this point. The Lord was adding a great many of people to the congregation there in Antioch. In verse 25, we read Barnabas departing for Tarsus to seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
And so it was a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, Barnabas and Saul go way back. Saul was in Tarsus at this time, and he would be there for some 13 years. But before that, Paul had encouraged Paul, or Barnabas had encouraged Paul, a recent convert on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, and had affirmed him before the apostles and elders of Jerusalem that this was the real deal. Paul was slain by Jesus and that he might be risen from the dead, as it were, of his persecuting ways, his self-righteousness. Grace found Paul. And Paul would become a great preacher. And Barnabas says, I need Paul. The work of the church needs Paul. I'm going to go get him. So he finds him. And they'll preach a whole year. And it is an example to all of us of what co-pastors ought to be. They sacrifice their egos on the altar of the service of the churches. Barnabas, no doubt, could see in Paul that there was going to be a great preacher here. But Barnabas didn't care. He didn't have any fear that Paul would outshine him. Paul would undermine him. Because he knew, they both knew the one thing that was so necessary to be in the work of the ministry and to work together. That is, we need to know Jesus, his blood, his righteousness, and his grace. And by the grace of God, we are what we are, and we are preachers as we are. So be it. Nothing here of me, Barnabas, or of Paul, or of anybody else. An example I say to all of us. Later, there's going to be a sharp disagreement. Barnabas and Paul will cross swords about taking John Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, along on one of the ministry, ministry uh, missionary journeys. Later on in Galatians 2, Paul would even rebuke Barnabas, as he did Peter, for acting like a hypocrite and preferring the company of the Jews to the Gentiles, though their reconciliation was evident later on. Now about this. And this comes to the point I want to make with regard to classes. This co-laboring of Barnabas and Paul is a fundamental truth here of grace alive and grace needing to be alive and fruitful among those who labor together in the care of churches. Now, I need grace and the elders need grace to rule here, to govern here, to serve here, to preach here course. But we need a special measure of grace to relate to other ministers in their churches, those shepherds of those sheep, and as we concur with one another's advice and give counsel and are those who are lovers of Christ together more than lovers of ourselves. Now Barnabas, he was, you'd think he could get along with anybody, representative of all of those who are, are very kind. In fact, who might be tempted to please, by their generosity, people over the truth. Listen carefully, congregation. It can happen that a nice person who's given to being kind and so on 
and think he has a corner on mercy. And so 11th commandment for him, and all, we all ought to decide uh, to have it and to follow it, is you shall be nice. You shall be nice at all costs. Well, that's Barnabas, and perhaps he showed that too by favoring John Mark, favoring the Jews later on over the Gentiles. It was something about which he clashed with Paul. And Paul, on the other hand, he might be one who thinks he has a corner on the truth. And there are people like that, too. Perhaps we can be like that, think we have a corner on the truth. Tendency for those who have this, maybe a theological bent, to assert that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And when they don't even have any grounds for this. What I'm trying to make, beloved, is the point that mercy and truth have got to get together. The ones who know mercy and think they do have got together with those who know truth and think they do so that for Christ's sake we can be working together and not for my sake because I'm nice or your sake because you're the great theologian. But for Christ's sake, We have to come together and get rid of our egos and be servants together. So it's not my cause or our cause, it's Jesus' cause. And this is what happens by the grace of God, and this is what happens after the wonderful um, interrelationship of Jerusalem and Antioch, as we shall see. There was spiritual success. They were called Christians. They became this vibrant church and they resolved their differences because ministers were able, leaders in the churches were able to be examples to the flock of what it is to be servants of the Lord and not tyrants of the people of God or of one another. Well then, what shall it be? My final point. Shall there be men of churches today? Shall we be men representing the churches, Brother Geisen, Brother Young? Shall we be men of the churches who are men of Christ on Tuesday? Shall we be in anticipation of our meeting those who are humble? those who know mercy and who know, mer- uh, who know truth. Shall it be that it's not about us? Even though we might have something to say, even though mo- we disagree, even though there's a, a, a lot of things about we, which may, we may disagree, shall we be men of Jesus Christ? That's the point. For this, we must know grace. We must see grace and acknowledge it as Barnabas does, among other churches. We read of church reports, we're going to give a church report. We're going to be happy for churches where there's grace evident. We're going to be happy that people are courageous enough to stand up and to proceed with discipline and so on. Happy that Christ is at work in another place and among others who are of different personality. It takes, you see, this great Official self-denial for officials when they come together so to renounce their self and to cooperate with one another. May our classes not be there for a competition 
or a, a meeting of suspicion. May we not be le- uh, listening to gossip about other churches. May we be those who are able to do our work as shepherds of the flock, even of erring sheep, and present our overtures in all of these things in the spirit of truth and of mercy together. Then there will be good fruit. As with Antioch and Jerusalem, many were added to the churches. They were first called Christians in Antioch. They helped out one another. The church of Antioch shared uh, their, their gift to Jerusalem in a time of famine. They became also sons of consolation and encouragement that way. Later in Acts 13, they became a mission center. You see, they turned from themselves, having been turned from the world by the grace of God, to serve Jesus themselves. And this is what happens to a church, beloved, who has Barnabas as a leader and who has the spirit of Barnabas among us. We become also those who like Barnabas. And it's not just leaders. And I know that among you. There's a lot of encouragers here. Encourage you to be more encouraging. I would. Be full of grace and kindness, but be preachers as well. Otherwise, you're known as cream puffs and you're known as compromisers. Where's the mercy and the truth? That the meat at the cross and meet and are enjoyed in our hearts. For the honor of Jesus Christ. Our classes and our churches Be well served this week. May we be led by the Spirit. May we be full of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be like Barnabas and like Paul together. And we'll be sons of encouragement and sons of truth. And our church, a church of encouragement and of truth. And not only ours, but other churches too. Amen. We pray, Father, would you bless us? Bless us with this example here in the New Testament that we might be as Barnabas and Paul and the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch that were just being born and just trying to deal with the beginnings of life in the New Testament era. We pray, Father, that we who have 2,000 years of church history gone between us, may we be fresh, fresh in our anticipation and appreciation of the things that you worked long ago and that are still meant to be worked out today. Lord, we have some rules, we have some church orders We have some ways of doing things as Reformed and Presbyterian. But we need your Spirit to guide our hearts. We need, Father, more than the letter, but the heart of the gospel beating in our own hearts. And so, Father, when we behold grace and we're looking for it, may we be glad. May we be those who respond with hope because grace makes hope. It makes a people that was once without hope, full of hope, because this is is grace, the dawning of the new age. Lord, 
of heaven, that new age of heaven, in our hearts alive and leading us on. In Jesus' name, amen.